Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I chat with Lisa Vandenbos of FUSAC, located in Paris, France, about FUSAC's history, how it has evolved, and much more. But first, we chat with ACAGF's chairman, Charles Bruce, about the recent webinar, Parting the Veil, Analyzing the Revenue Effects of RBT. Welcome, Charles. Happy to be here, especially uh, sitting next to my air conditioning on a hot day in Washington. The ACAGF webinar was well attended, and clearly people are interested in hearing about the research ACAGF is doing with District Economics Group, aka DEG. What did attendees learn at the webinar? Well, I think they learned a lot. It really went into a broad range of subjects, and it went deeply into those subjects. But just summarizing... They learned about the project that's ongoing, that is the ACA DEG project on analyzing the revenue, which really underlies the effort to enact RBT. So that um, ACA DEG project was discussed in detail. Also learned about how numbers fit into how RBT might be enacted how that subject will move along in Washington. What role numbers play and how that's done, a lot was said about that. Could you explain what DEG does and why their work is so important? Okay, I'm going to try to do this, but actually Mike Udell, the founder of a DEG, did a fantastic job of explaining this, so I'm just going to do a little bit of the same thing. DEG is a Washington-based economic consulting group Their specialty, their focus is really working on projects just like this that involve revenue numbers for legislation that's coming through Congress. So if a group like uh, pharmaceuticals or oil or somebody like that is working on subjects and they need data and numbers to explain their proposal, what underlies their proposal, that is what DEG does. Why? Is that so terribly important? Because numbers really drive the exercise in many ways. Briefly, Congress and Treasury want to know how do the numbers fall out? What is a proposal going to cost? Who does it hit? Who does it not hit? Things like that. The numbers are terribly, terribly important. And DEG, frankly, is um, one of the best in the community. There are other pockets in the large accounting firms but they tend to have conflicts. But there are very, very few groups that do what DEG does, and speaking for myself, I think none do it as well as DEG does. At the webinar, Mike Udell of DEG spoke about what data and information will be important to the key committee that would consider RBT, residence-based taxation, legislation. Could you tell us more about this? Happy to. Again, this is difficult to summarize because really there's a whole range of data that's important. But some examples are starting at the top. The numbers for how many U.S. expats, Americans overseas, how many are there? How many of them are taxpayers? Where are they located? What does their revenue picture look like? All of that in detail is the type of data that we're working with and it's the type of data that the committees are interested in actually very interested in. And I'll just say this, that 
there are good data sets, as they say, elsewhere, particularly in Treasury, in Joint Committee, in Office of Tax Analysis, in particular Treasury. But on this subject, data on Americans living abroad, I will say that the ACA DEG database is actually the best. It is the most finely tuned. It is the most developed data set. We gather it from different places. What proves that, I think, is that other groups, including groups in government, come to us to look at that data and to pivots about that data. ACAGF received lots of questions during the webinar. What were people most interested in or concerned about in regards to RBT? Well, you were right. People were interested, and we did receive a lot of questions. I can't look over here and say how many, but ooh, um, 60, 70 is is my memory because I've been dealing with some of them. And it's a, a range of things, but some examples, they were interested in how RBT might hit or affect their situation. And in particular, this type of income or that type of income, for instance, a pension income, U.S. source pension income, foreign pension income, things like that. So how would it affect me uh, was one um, set of questions. Another set of questions is timing. How is this going to go along? Uh, What's going to happen in the future? Other things, just quickly, some of the politics of it that was hit upon. And then an amazing array of what I'd call technical questions, tough questions. So it was very interesting. The the audience was paying attention, and they were well-educated on the subject. Why is revenue and, quote, the numbers, unquote, so important to adoption of RBT? Most importantly, the numbers are important because the proposal, RBT, must be revenue neutral. That is not just something that we pull out of the air. There's several reasons for it. Congress and the administration probably don't want to lose revenue over this subject. But also, the way it's handled in Congress, if it's not revenue neutral, it will probably just not procedurally jump over all the hoops. As Mike Udell explained much better than I am right now, there are issues that would mean that any member of Congress could raise his or her hand and say, no, I object because that is not revenue neutral. It breaks the so-called reconciliation rule. I would just add sort of an overview that in Washington, on a subject like this, the numbers, the real good, well-developed numbers are what I call coin of the realm. People think, oh, it's very important that somebody make a lot of political contributions on this and that. Well, that may be somebody's view. It's my view on a subject like this to be hardcore, well thought through on your numbers. Those numbers are the coin of the realm. And ACA, DEG, database, that is the coin of the realm. It's what people in government come to us for, what gets us into meetings all over Capitol Hill, as Mary Louise Serrato would tell you. Will the public be able to get a copy of the research? When the research is finished, as we did with our first study back in 2017, the analysis will be put into a report and made public. If you go back to the ACA website, you'll see that earlier report. That type of report will be produced, be available. If the question is, will we be able to see everything in the ACA DEG file, worksheets, and all of that, no, we don't publicize that. 
Also, I frequently get asked, Charlie, couldn't you just send us the Excel spreadsheet on this? And the answer is there actually isn't a big spreadsheet of any type on it. There is a database made up of databases drawn from government, modified, a version of that database that DEG has been working on for a long time, probably more than a decade, and it's built up over the years. So that entire database is then modified and you run through the different proposals. What we would not be doing is giving access to that database. Though I will, I will say this, to satisfy those people that come to us since the webinar, we've been contacted with exactly that question and we're considering actually licensing the data, but no decision has been made on that. If you're interested in real access to all the details, keep coming to us. Some people say that RBT should really be determined on fairness and not numbers. What are your thoughts on this? My thoughts are that those people are right so far as that goes. Fairness is absolutely an important part of the whole discussion. And it's why years ago, ACA went back and had a symposia on virtues of citizenship-based taxation versus residency-based taxation. And fairness is, of course, a big ingredient in that discussion. And I've never seen anybody who said that they thought that CBT was really basically the fair approach. RBT is the fairer approach. Well, maybe there's somebody out there, but certainly I couldn't find more than one or two people. So fairness is important. Fairness will not carry the day because of the revenue impact, losing money for the Treasury Department. That's a killer. But also even more than that, procedurally, the bill would never make it through under reconciliation and other rules. So we absolutely understand and agree with people that make the fairness point. But it's not the ultimate winner of the day. Thank you, Charles, for giving us a recap of ACAGF's webinar, Parting the Veil, Analyzing the Revenue Effects of RBT. You can find a recording of the webinar posted on the ACA and ACAGF websites. And please don't forget to donate to this important work. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me along. Before we start talking about FUSAC, could you tell us a little about yourself? How did you end up in Paris? I'm originally from New Jersey. It's where I grew up. My husband is from Kalamazoo, Michigan, but we actually met in Paris. I was on a junior year abroad and uh, he was a graduate student and we met there. Then we ran back into each other once we got back to the States. After that, the rest is history. So there's a little bit of serendipity and surprise in two Americans meeting in Paris, but then actually getting going in a relationship in New York. That was a good 30 years ago, and we've both been in Paris since 88 and 89. For our listeners who are not in Paris, could you tell us about FUSAC? What is it exactly? And what is FUSAC's origin story? FUSAC is a classified ads magazine originally for many years we were an every two week publication that was distributed between 40 and 60,000 copies at some points it had up to 80 pages classified ads basically it was the internet before the internet we moved it online as you can imagine 
about seven years ago now. And so it continues online with the classified ads. When we were on paper, it was strictly classified ads. Now though, with the online platform, we have much more opportunity to do different articles about Paris, what's going on, uh, kind of the usual things that you might be interested in about Paris, but also some interesting things about lifestyle, about language. We do lots of things with language. So that's what Fusec is today. As far as the origin story, that's John, that's my husband who had the idea when he was studying in New York, as I said, and he read an article one day while he was waiting for the dot matrix printer to go back and forth and print, he had time to read. And he read an article about a gentleman who was starting a baseball magazine using this new technology called desktop publishing, which allowed the everyman to produce a magazine by having their own software, whereas previously it was cost prohibitive because you had to pay people to do the page layout for you. So he had this idea to come back to France and set up a business organizing all of the little classified ads that were all over the city on different bulletin boards for English teaching, for plumbers, for babysitters, etc. There were the bulletin boards, for example, at the American church that were just covered with little pieces of paper with people's phone numbers on them. And you didn't know if your advertisement was going to be there five minutes after you put it up. Somebody might come and use the back of it to put up their own ad or cover it up, or somebody would want to keep your phone number instead of copying it, they'd tear it down. And so John said, you know, there's a better way to do this and desktop publishing is it. And what does the acronym F-U-S-A-C stand for? That's a good question. The F is France, USA and C for context. That's what we called it originally. Very soon, it morphed into Fusac. Words ending with AC, or proper nouns, I should say, ending with AC are very common around in the Bordeaux region. Now, we're not in the Bordeaux region, but it made it really easy for French people to just simply call it Fusac. And the French just love acronyms. So there we are. We ended up with an acronym that we hadn't planned, but there it is. And what is Bill and Rosa's book room? And what is the backstory with it? The book room is really quite recent. We just started it last year, just before the COVID hit. It came about as we had extra space in our office after having switched the magazine to the internet. We didn't need all of the same people anymore, and so we had some room. Things were a little bit droopy around the office with mostly just me and John and one other person left. And so he came up with this idea of used books. Then the idea of a library came around because the book room is both a library and a bookshop. And the library is based on a set of books that we received as a sort of an inheritance from two very dear French friends. One was an author himself and his wife loved to read in English. And so when they passed away, we inherited their English books. And so that started out being the center of the library. And John has a desire to create the largest library outside the United States on the American West. When we go back to the States now, we don't go to Michigan or New Jersey anymore. We do to visit sometimes, but our real place in the United States at this point when we go is Montana. And we have become very much enamored with the American West and the Rocky Mountains. Could you explain what the LUF manual is for our listeners? LUF stands for light and lively observations on France extraordinaire. So Louf is light reading. It's just a small magazine. 
with articles that have a little touch of humor. It's lively. It has articles on language, for example, there's one in the most recent about the word petite. There's articles about acronyms and how the French love acronyms. There's articles about laughter in France. But on a more serious side, there's a little bit of a look at the National Assembly and the Senate and how those work. So there's a little bit of an explanatory side and a fun side. And that is all of the topics that we didn't get to publish when we were doing classified ads. Because back when we were doing classified ads on paper, we were squeezing them in as much as we could. And everybody kept saying, but there's nothing to read. And so once we went online, we had more time to do those articles and of course the space. And then we decided we wanted to still publish on paper. And so we decided to do LOOF, which allowed us to then, since all classified ads were online, publish the articles on paper. And it's supported by advertising as we always have been. Our advertisements are paid by the advertisers and everything is distributed free of charge to the readers. The Speak Easy Puzzle series is an amazing tool for those who are learning French. Could you tell our listeners more about these? The Speak Easy Puzzles are something that we published in every FUSAC from, oh boy, probably issue number 10. We did 523 on paper. And they are matching up puzzles, 26 expressions in English on one side and 26 expressions in French on the other side. And you need to match the French with the English. They mostly have themes such as animals. Idiomatic expressions are really complicated when you're learning a new language. The one of the examples I always give is don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Well, in French, you don't talk about chickens. You talk about bears and you don't sell the bear skin before you've killed the bear. If you don't learn these expressions, you, you can't really participate fully in the language. You, you kind of stutter and stammer along and you miss all the colorful fun parts of it. So we thought we'd propose the speakeasy games. And after publishing them many years, people said, hey, could you make a book out of these? And so we did. And we actually have three volumes of them. Who is the quote unquote typical American expat? Who are the people who use FUSAC services? There's no typical American expat. They don't exist. They could be 20 years old. They could be 80 years old. They're students, they're corporate people, they're business owners, they're retirees, they're people who own apartments that want to rent them when they're not here. The people that use our services most, though, are those who are arriving, who are settling in, who don't yet speak French. They could be Americans, but they're also any other English speaker. English is often the second language that people have before they have French. And so when they arrive, they may be Japanese or Norwegian, but they will fall back to English until they master French. And that's why Fusac is helpful to them because we have advertisements for employment, babysitters, pet sitters, service providers such as plumbers who speak English, and the whole gamut. That helps people feel more comfortable when they arrive. And during Thanksgiving, which now seems like ages ago, FUSAC had a Thanksgiving dinner giveaway. Does FUSAC hold other seasonal events throughout the year for the expat community? You know, we really haven't. That's something we are thinking of developing more though. And I think we'll probably do Thanksgiving again next year. 
it was a very simple Thanksgiving meal though, that because we were under COVID lockdown at the time, we made a turkey Waldorf salad in our kitchen and put it on some lettuce leaves and put it in little takeout boxes mm -hmm. and people came and picked them up. But it was good fun and, and we got to know a few more people and people were very appreciative because you couldn't go out and have a Thanksgiving dinner. How did you and FUSEC manage during COVID, in particular the Bill and Rosa book room? That's one of the beauties of France is that bookstores in France are pretty much sacred. Except for the very first lockdown where everything was closed, bookstores were able to remain open the whole time. So that was really nice for us. It was a really good project for us during that time because when we weren't actually at the book room, we were able to be cataloging books and planning things and trying to figure out where we were going to eke out more space and things of that nature. So it's, it was a really good COVID project for us. Business globally, though, dropped off, as you can imagine, a lot. We realized how dependent we are. We thought we were serving the local community, but we realized how dependent we are on mobility and people coming and going. And since they weren't coming, People weren't advertising their apartments or their plumbing services or their language courses. So it was a pretty tough period, and we're just starting to come out of that now. FUSEC has become the go-to for any English speaker moving to Paris. In this rapidly changing world, do you have an explanation as to how FUSEC's success has remained a mainstay over the years? Well, essentially, hard work, great service, it's helpful. Those are things that just don't go away with changing technologies and things. Those are, those are still things that are important. We have insights. We have humor. Over the years, we've published the Speakeasy books. We've published 90 Ways You Know You're Becoming French. So there's a fun side to it as well. So all of those things continue to bring people towards us. Has FUSAC's role in the expat community changed during the time of COVID? Has the community leaned on your resources more or less? Or have you noticed a change on how the community uses your resources? Well, our resources were used less just because there were fewer people around and people weren't being mobile. It's hard to answer how the community changed. We were all sort of separated, you know, so a lot of it went online like everything else. There wasn't a lot of getting together, and there still really isn't. It's just barely starting to happen over here. FUSAC started out as a magazine containing classifieds and advertisements, then added Bill and Rosa's book room and library, then evolved into a website with more resources, and now also publishes books. Do you have any vision for what's next for FUSAC? Podcasts, phone apps, something else? Well, those things aren't all quite in the right order. <laughs> but that doesn't matter much. We have just recently redeveloped our website, modernized it after, uh, I think we're on our third, if not fourth version of the website now. That's kind of an interesting thing that has to be brought forward every once in a while. We're very happy to have that done. That was also a good COVID project while we were at home. Our webmaster was actually at home too, because he travels an awful lot. We were actually all sedentary separately and made it work. As far as podcasts and things, that's not on our radar right now. We're working more on developing the book room since it is still young. We hope to have more events with the book room, a book club where people will get together and speak English and French. That's one thing that people are constantly looking for. The French people want to speak English. The English speakers want to speak French. And believe it or not, 
you don't have a lot of opportunities to do that on a casual basis in Paris. I mean, there's a Turkish gentleman who comes into the book room all the time and he speaks pretty good English where he works at, I think it's either Renault or at the OECD. They speak English all the time. Even with his colleagues, he's not speaking French. So he's really finding it hard to have an opportunity to speak French. So we're trying to work out how we can have an interactive discussion around books. And do you have any new publications coming out soon? Well, we're hoping for a new loof in 2022. That was another aspect of COVID is that the 2020 loof magazine, this is an annual publication, or it's supposed to be, the 2020 magazine didn't get distributed because there were no place to distribute it with the restaurants and the bars and all that closed and very few people going out and picking up copies. We still have a certain stock of that that we're going to finish, and we're hoping at the beginning of 2022 to do a new loop. It's a project that we really enjoy, so I think there'll be another one coming out in the beginning of the year, which means we'll have to start that in a few months. It's coming <laughs> up fairly fast. Great. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us today. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us.